Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about Twilight. We talked about Twilight of the Apprentice, the Star Wars episodes, but no, today, the long-promised episode talking about the books and the movies, Twilight. Talking about Robert Pattinson, the early years. Talking about vampires who sparkle. And talking about a vampire mythology that perhaps has a little bit of an agenda. All that and more with a special guest right after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, I'm really excited because we have someone on today as a guest, Catherine Ray. If you are part of the Stranded Panda Network on Facebook or other places, you may have seen their line, their name come up. They're a very active part of the network. And a number of us have been trying to get them onto our podcast for a long time. I won. Uh, I approached Catherine about the idea of Twilight. We figured out a way to help them record. So, Catherine, I am so glad you're here. Oh, Matthew, thank you for having me. I'm a little excited slash ashamed that the first podcast I'm actually on is about something like Twilight. But, you know, I'm happy to be (laughs) speaking with you. And uh, here we are. You know, uh, there's a lot of perspectives on this that I can't give. And I just I knew that the two of us were gonna have a lot of fun both acknowledging why these things were so popular and that there's some like, like, not just ragging on the people who liked them but ragging on the product itself quite a lot. So Yes, I'm, I'm happy to hear about your experience because this is not something I feel like we've ever talked about before, actually. So I'm excited to know what your history is with the subject matter, and I'm excited to finally divulge my own history with it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. There's going to be some sharing. There's going to be some discussion. And uh, <laughs> there'll be some sharing. There'll be some discussion. There's a lot of fun stuff for us to talk about with this. Well, and just, just so to get started, um, can you introduce yourself a little bit for the um, for the listeners, people who maybe have not seen all your comments online, um, who you are and kind of what your background is with, with uh, Stranded Panda, et cetera, and, and your fandoms and the like? Oh, yeah, totally. So I'm a a happy panda in the Stranded Panda embarrassment. And I think I started listening to the MCU cast back after Infinity War came out. And I've just been so happy to be a part of that community ever since then. It's really wonderful place to be. And if you are at all familiar with the Stranded Panda chat on Facebook, you know, I am quite thirsty in that space. So happy (laughs) to uh, happy to be a part of it. I've made some wonderful friends through it, yourself included, Matthew. And so I'm happy to finally be coming on a podcast about it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and we, we're definitely going to do another version of Thirstcast um, at some point soon. The public discussion about Obi-Wan uh, has certainly led to that, as well as numerous male stars of the Star Wars and other veracity, other uh, fandoms announcing their status as daddy um, has, <laughs> has generated quite a lot of feelings. I've been talking about that on myself on uh, TikTok, uh, by panic moments indeed. So we'll, we will get you back for that as well. Wonderful. So Let's start with just though Twilight itself, because I think a lot of people know about Twilight. Some people see in the books or movies, some people don't, but it's it's definitely a cultural phenomenon. Whether or not you see in the books and the movies, though, hopefully we're going to be able to carry along through the discussion. But what for you kind of get like it, it sounded like there's a story there. What's kind of your, your history with these books? And because you were like the target audience age, I think, when they first came out, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I was in. Well, I got I started with Twilight in 2008. I believe they started the book started coming out in 2005, but I got turned on to them in 2008, j- just before the movies came out. So mm-hmm. I was yes, I was in high school at that time. I think it was my junior year of high school. And I was a prime audience, just like you said, for these books and, and whatnot. So it was such a 
looking back, it was such an organic way of getting turned on to them. My friend, Caitlin, actually, I think we were talking in mm-hmm. biology class one day mm-hmm. or something. And she was like, oh, my God, I have these books. I literally I just I will bring them all to you and I will give them to you and you can read them. I literally read them all in like four days. And I was like, OK, great. Awesome. Whatever, I guess. I'm not really like <laughs> into vampires. And she's like, I'm not mm-hmm. either. So then she gave me Don't all worry, four. Don't worry, they're not real exactly. vampires. Books, so. <laughs> <laughs> so she gave me all four of these books. And then um, in 2008, I live in the Northeast. And in 2008, mm-hmm. there was an ice storm that happened. It was in the wintertime. There was a bad ice storm. A lot of people ended up losing power. So I was without power for like 11 days or something. And so I would just like... It was also during Christmas break, so it was like a really ill-timed storm. Anyway, so basically, I would come home, there would be no power, and by candlelight, I would read these Twilight books. So oh I ended up reading all four of them in like something like eight or nine days. And mm-hmm. so, of course, I was just so wrapped up in the story, and then the movies came out not that much later, and so I was just in it for sure. And of course, I was also in high school, so I had no idea about a lot of the things that are really problematic about these. So it's been mm-hmm. really interesting to I mean there's kind of been like a twilight renaissance going on and so it's been really funny to kind of hear what people are saying about it now and to kind of revisit and remember how absolutely obsessed and into these I was when they came out Mm -hmm. and and kind of questioning and interrogating what that says about me when I was in high school and what kind of a headspace I was in and Mm -hmm. it's a it's interesting for from that perspective but it is a it is something I'm a I'm not ashamed is not the right word because I'm not ashamed I was in (laughs) high school you know, but it's just, yeah, yeah it, it was, there was a, there's a lot to talk about for these and especially for people who have never got the chance to interrogate why they liked them and what was going on in their mm-hmm. life when they were into them. So well, definitely one of the reasons why I'm excited to be here talking to you today. Well, and that's, <clears throat> it's funny, as you said, we hadn't talked about them much, but I knew in approaching the books, I, I wanted to kind of hit two things because I wanted to talk about the toxicity in the books and all the ways that they do appeal to that audience in, in some very problematic ways. But I feel like there's a double-edged sword here because there's also – I do think that a lot of the derision that the books and the movies get, 90 percent of it very well justified, including from its own stars. Uh, Robert Pattinson hates these movies. His commentary tracks are hilarious. But that also there is this element of, oh, this is a thing teenage girls like. So by definition, it's ridiculous. you know. And Turning Red, I think, actually did a great job of like challenging some of these things more recently – but but I, I knew from other discussions with you that that was something I think we could really get into is that is that duality of like there's a lot of problems with these, but also let's talk about why they were popular and why that's problematic, but also how dismissive people were of that is also problematic. Because I think in some ways that may be part of why like we never really looked – a lot of people didn't look at how toxic they were because it was just – Oh, it's stuff for young girls. So, who, like the the YA for boys. Let's talk about that. But but the romance stuff, eh? Who cares? Exactly. I think a lot of these got written off as simply like tween vampire dramas. Mm-hmm. And then I think all four of the movies like def- collectively made over a billion dollars or something. I mean, the books have been translated into like 37 languages. I, mm-hmm. It's it's such a popular thing. It's hard to not want to kind of get into that and look at it a little bit more seriously. Definitely, definitely. Well, and so let me talk about my own history with them for a second because it's, it's very different. I'm so um, curious, to be honest. <laughs> and it's going to come out of left field, I'm sure, because I had to read these books for work. <laughs> um, so I was definitely, I was one of those who didn't really know much about them and then definitely did kind of write them off. My own kind of shame about it, for sure. And we'll talk about that. Um, but at the time, I was working for an organization called the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Ch- uh, Choice. Uh, basically, it was a 
religious organization of all different interfaith organization that was working for reproductive justice. So pro-choice, supporting birth control, supporting access to contraception, uh, you know, actual good comprehensive sexual education, work that I'm certainly not thinking about in regard to any current political discussions as I'm recording this on the 3rd of May. Um, but putting that aside till we get to the third book, I was asked by my boss to read these because they were being talked about all the time on the other side of those questions. And, and here's, here's a story I don't think many people really know the full details of, but I think it, it says a lot about these books and, and helps to frame the conversation. Um, Stephanie Myers Mormon, I think many people know that, and that um, she, 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 the books are clearly, and again, we'll get into more of this in detail, I'm just laying out the, the basic ideas. The books have a clear kind of like pro-abstinence message. You know, it's all about like the, the, the hunger he has as a vampire is the metaphor for sexual hunger and they're going to wait till marriage and all this stuff. When she wrote these books, there were folks in the Mormon church who had the agenda of wanting to make abstinence sexy. And they were, I don't know the exact detail, I don't remember the exact details, but it was something like they they put out a call for authors of like, we want someone to write YA that makes abstinence and other kind of like ideas around that kind of morality sexy. And when these books came out, the Mormon church and also some other groups that were super like, you know, pro those kind of, you know, right wing Christian values bought tons of the books and distributed them to in like high schools and in like, you know, confirmation youth groups and stuff like that. And that was a big part of why the books got to be bestsellers so quickly and got distributed through high schools and high school cultural of the place. So I was asked to read them from that perspective of like, hey, we're training clergy in how to talk about, you know, pro-sexuality and pro-contraception uh, and all this kind of stuff. So we have to read these books to message about them. So I kind of skimmed them. I was skimming a lot of the romance parts. I was just, just – and I skipped the battle scenes. I just wanted to kind of understand them from that. I certainly was not impressed, but I had that very, like, that was the attitude I went into it coming in with. And then I had no contact with them for years and years. And then I did start to see more people kind of talking about how these books had a big effect on their idea of romance, on their idea of sexuality. You know, we had the whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing, which has been openly admitted that that is like Twilight fanfic with just the serial numbers rubbed off. Um I wish this was going on the video because Catherine is, is nodding in, in fervent agreement. Um, we need to start video recording this as well. But um, but yeah, and so I was like, I, I keep hearing about this. I keep thinking about this. And especially with the new Batman movie coming out, I think that may be part of the kind of renaissance you were talking about because all of a sudden people were really interested in Robert Pattinson again and talking to him again. And so a couple weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch these movies. And my partners both were like, okay, let's do this. And we had just a fun time watching all five of the movies, I think within 48 hours, 72 hours, something like that. That is such a bold choice. It was a lot. <laughs> um, there was a lot of popcorn consumed, um, not by myself, but there was a lot of alcohol consumed by others. Um and I, yeah, have a lot of thoughts at the end. So that that that's kind of my story. When you when you originally asked me would I talk to you about Twilight, I had a, a brief fleeting thought that I would try to reread some of these books beforehand. And I uh -huh. was in this like secondhand shop. And of course, if you've ever gone to like a secondhand shop in the book section, you will guaranteed find multiple copies of these books, which I don't know exactly mm -hmm. what that says, but they're just always there. Like and there's a whole usually yep. like a whole shelf of the Twilight books. Anyway, I really did think about it. And I was in a secondhand shop and I was like, oh, my God, there's the Twilight series. And I picked one up and I flipped open to 
a random page and I immediately shut it and I said, I don't have to revisit these. I can I can yeah. uh, go from memory. I can talk about the stuff that comes up. I do not have to subject myself to like a thousand pages of whatever this was when I read it in 2008. I mean, I think that's part, and this is not, I often say this is not a, a um, podcast for like movie and literary criticism. This is to talk about the ethical questions, but we get into that sometimes. I think even the people who are still fans of them will admit they're pretty badly written. Like just in terms of like use of adjectives and adverbs and like sentence structure and things oh, like that. Oh, totally. Yeah. And yeah, that specifically that that Twilight Renaissance I kind of men- mentioned, a lot of it is people admitting the camp of it and admitting their yeah. own enjoyment of it. And I'm the first person to say that there are plenty of campy things that I like and that I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with liking something, especially if you know it's bad. I think especially right. with the state of the world it's kind of nice if you have an escapism that is feels good for you and in whatever so that this is not a this is not a condemnation of having a problematic fave because as we both mentioned um, i'm a huge fan of the mcu and some of those movies are like straight up military industrial complex porn so i am the first person Mm -hmm. to like not be making fun of you or pointing fingers for having a problematic fave because plenty of my faves are problematic I, I recently did an episode of the concept, the album concept hour with Ashley Coffin, also from the Strandy Panda Network. And we talked about something that had been one of my favorite albums of all time when I was a kid, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, which the lyrics of it are, as a 10-year-old, I didn't notice, though it probably actually influenced me a lot more than I, I would have thought. Uh, the lyrics are not the most progressive. <laughs> uh, they're actually downright horrible. Uh, like, if you think, like, Blurred Lines is bad. This is like 8 million times worse. <laughs> blurred Lines is bad. But the, but the riffs are so... And I was like, I was listening to the songs being like, these lyrics are so bad as I'm like bumping along to the great music. So yeah, like liking Problematic Fit. And I think that's a good thing. I think for a while it seemed like even acknowledging the ever loved those was like a, a, a thing to be shamed and derided. Mm. And now I do think there is some of the sense of like, yes, if we can, we can admit they're toxic, we acknowledge they're awful and a lot of people won't ever want to watch them. But if you fell in love with them when you were 12 or 14 or even 21 and you still you still get some pleasure out of them, no one is saying that's wrong. We're yeah. just saying it's important to kind of look at that toxicity and, and talk about it. Absolutely. But also look about why people loved it. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. Let me actually start there. Um, if, if you can kind of, you know, take yourself back and put yourself back in the mindset of 14-year-old Catherine or whatever it was, what was it about those books you think that spoke to you so much? Honestly, I was I was boy obsessed in high school, like many girls in high mm-hmm. school. My hormones were just raging. I had no idea what to do about it. And I was just boy crazy. And so the idea about any attention from boys was always so good and felt so nice. And so here came mm-hmm. along Edward, who was quite literally obsessed with Bella, would like yeah. – I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the stalking inside, but like, you know, he like he literally broke into her house. He stalked her just because he couldn't Mm -hmm. keep himself away from her. He was so obsessed. And of course, I can now barely say that without laughing a little bit about how toxic that is and how like truly abusive. But of course, uh, yeah, 14 year old Catherine was like, oh, my God, I want that kind of love. I want to be longed Mm -hmm. for like that. Bella's so lucky to have that attention from such a beautiful 
beautiful vampire. You know, the vampire thing, I was like, I wasn't like crazy about vampires, but it was just like, I don't know. You, you just, you, mm-hmm. you, again, you fall in love with the attention, right? You want to be the main character of this story. You want that. Mm-hmm. You want someone to be crazy over you and they can't keep themselves away from you, you know? So it was very mm-hmm. much like where I was at that time in my life. Again, just like my brain hadn't fully formed yet. So I'm not yeah. holding any of this stuff against myself, right? It's like very understandable. And I think a lot of people are also in similar situations when they're that young they really don't know what healthy relationships look like they don't know what are red flags and things like that so if you Mm -hmm. were like me and you just wanted some attention and then this girl was getting all of this attention you can understand why it's like oh that's it looks so nice wouldn't that be great yeah no i can totally understand that i think especially it really like in talking to a lot of other friends of mine i know it really spoke to that desire for attention but also especially if you're the kid who thinks of themselves as the outsider you know, because this isn't the story of the jock who falls in love with you. This isn't the story of the captain of the football team or the school, like getting noticed by the most popular guy in school. This is getting noticed by the other outsider. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in this way, it, it, it did feel like there was something like that's a very old trope of like the, you know, obsession equaling romance and love and the, the girl who is clumsy and, and has all these self-doubts, you know, finding her self-confidence in the love of a, a man toxic red flag right there for sure <laughs> but i think the fact that like it changed it made it about edward as the other outcast as well and this whole thing of and i'm wondering if this was something for you or if you for you like this was kind of just all stuff that 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 you know went overhead of of full, not fully formed brain people yet um but just the idea of like because i think there is this strong idea of like that she wants to rescue him as well she wants to protect him she gets her kind of like because she has to get so wrapped up in all of the, like, vampiric politics and that she's helping to, you know, tame his inner beast and all that stuff. What Was that something that, like, 14-year-old Catherine was seeing? Or do you think that was – it was just how cute he was and all the obsession? Uh, you know, interesting point. I do not think 14-year-old Catherine picked up on that at all. I definitely mm-hmm. uh, zeroed in on the rock-hard abs and what I imagined him looking like in my head, of course, as, like, insanely mm-hmm. handsome. And I remember – I can't remember if I was specifically attracted to Rob Pattinson when the movie came out. I was very much still a fan of Twilight when the first one came out. I think by Mm -hmm. the time the second – I don't even think I've seen the second, third, or fourth or fifth movie. I think I only have seen the first one. And I can't remember if I thought he was really good-looking or – I think Mm -hmm. I had a better Edward in my head personally. And then when he came on screen – not that I don't think he's attractive, but I think the one in my head was like – a little bit different uh so no i don't think i was picking up on on those kind of vibes initially from the bella Mm -hmm. storyline i think i had i think i had other reasons for being into it that makes sense and again i also let me say again i have not read the books since 2008 and have not seen the movie at least the first movie since probably also 2008 well that's kind of the point is we're not trying to talk about this as a like literary criticism right now we're kind of talking about this cultural phenomenon of like yeah. why is it that 14 years later we're still talking so much about these books and these movies yeah and um, let's say i mean they came out on netflix right a and then mm-hmm. b we've all been locked inside for like three years now so i feel like it's you yep. know of course we're all going back and or not all but of course some of us are going back and revisiting faves and things oh my god i haven't seen twilight in so long oh my god they have all of them let's just watch them you know stuff like mm-hmm. that yeah i i definitely the first like six to nine months of uh pandemic being locked in one of the things that made it so hard is I kept going back to my childhood movies as like comfort and then realizing how problematic they were, like watching the old first Ghostbusters movies and watching Bill Murray be 100% a stalker, but isn't that cute and romantic? And 
Yeah. So so revisiting the phase has definitely been a, a big thing. It can be a mixed so, bag for sure. Mm-hmm. What kind of response did you get about being a fan? Like, do you, I, was this something that you like talked about? Did you get kind of like fa- family or friends kind of supporting you, or were there a lot of eye rolls about like, oh god, another girl is into Twilight? Or what kind of response did you get? Oh, good question. So I remember again that friend of mine, Caitlin, gave me the books, and I remember also being equally just obsessed with them. And then I passed them along to another friend of mine. So I like just I was just another like link in the chain of like passing mm-hmm. along this obsession with girls. My dad never asked about what the books were about. I mean, he was always just happy to see me reading. I never thought he he didn't care yeah. about what the content was. But I do remember when the when the first movie came out, I was uh, dating a guy at the time, and uh, I had plans to go see the midnight premiere because I was definitely that into it when the first movie came out and I remember he was like oh what are you doing tonight and I was like oh um I'm going to see the uh, midnight uh, premiere of Twilight and he (laughs) definitely laughed at me and I was Mm -hmm. like whatever it's fine you don't have to go like I don't care you know Uh, he did go he was a very good sport and uh, he slept through the entire movie he he like mouth open snoring absolutely just slept through the entire midnight premiere of Twilight and I also Mm -hmm. uh, will admit that I did go see it again later that same week. Okay. Okay. So you didn't hate Pattinson, clearly. Oh no, 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 not at all. I remember. I remember uh-huh. really liking. I mean, also these movies had incredible soundtracks. Yeah, they definitely. So did. that first it, movie had a great soundtrack. There were definitely a couple songs. Where I was like, "This is a this is a banger. I like this song. Oh, this is this is connected to this. Okay, that's that's not something I realized. Um, well, and because I think that that's that's to me that's one important part of this whole discussion is the way in which I think these books were. Like a lot of things since, you know, boy, um, I, I may have t- told you about this. I certainly uh, haven't talked much on the podcast about this. One of my favorite bands now is One Direction. And I that was definitely like the whole boy band thing was something I totally rid off. I love me some Backstreet Boys and I can rock some Backstreet Boys karaoke. But I was like, eh, One Direction, it's a boy band. Until my partner really got me into them and listening to the lyrics and just all the like awesome dynamics among the guys. And it, it, that's a podcast for another time. But what I'm kind of curious, looking back on it, when you think about the way those the 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 way the books were seen, obviously a lot of it is the toxicity. But how much of it do you think it is that idea of like, well, this is a thing that teen girls are into, and they're all kind of like obsessed and and Team Edward or Team Jacob, and so therefore it's it's not serious. It's not something we should pay attention to. Oh, isn't it always easy to write off something that just one group is into? Isn't it always just so easy to write it off as, oh, that's just what the little girls are into, or oh, that's just what mm-hmm. the stay-at-home moms are into, thinking specifically about the Fifty Shades of Grey kind of like a horrible depiction of a BDSM relationship, you know, like I think it's easy to write off something that just one kind of group is into. And I think something like Twilight, mm-hmm. even if there were like a contingency of boys that were into it or middle-aged men, I think they're less likely to talk about it or identify with it publicly, which is, you know, so they're not going to get that kind of ridicule. I think this very much probably was just viewed as something for, for tween girls, even when the movies went on to make, you know, again, collectively definitely over a billion dollars. Yeah. No, I think that's so very true. I think it's that that you know it's an important part of this whole conversation. Um, so let's talk about some red flags. Um, oh, I made I made a little bulleted list. Actually, not okay. of red flags well, specifically, but of like problematic things in the books. <laughs> yeah. So so, and let's just start with kind of the way you talked about why you were so into this and why you kind of wanted to be Bella. You talked about how now you might see things a bit differently. What what say more from that perspective? Oh, I mean, I think the Bella Edward relationship is is an an incredibly detailed depiction of a really abusive relationship. You know, emotionally abusive, definitely, um, definitely borders on physically abusive at times. With and I mean, he stalks her. He breaks into her house. I mean, there's a lot of really 
really kind of uh negative things that are being depicted as again mm-hmm. this like this longed for relationship and it's okay because it's really sweet that he just wants to watch her sleep it's he's not just breaking into her house and and violating that that space mm-hmm. and that privacy it's because he's so obsessed with her he just wants to watch her sleep and like looking back at that now that's like such an obscene thing to be romanticized about and to, to think mm-hmm. that there was a time where I was probably laying in bed reading these books being like oh I wish Edward were here watching me you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and I think that's so true and I think that's why to, that's why to me these books are so terrifying is because it is easy to slip into the romance of that you know like um, one of the discussions I got into with people, and I think you and I have talked a bit about this, is how the Harley-Joker relationship is also often romanticized, especially in like the Suicide movie. Or, or in that case, it's not even romanticized, it's deeply sexualized. Not that uh, J- Bella and Edward and Jacob isn't. But there at least it feels like it is so outside the realm. Like they're both just utterly nuts off the deep end. Um, and I don't, again, I don't mean that in a like derisive mental health way uh, i'm i'm advocate for that all the time i mean it just kind of like they're so out there and different from us but yeah you're right this one like yeah maybe he doesn't sparkle but you can still dream about that boy who would come into your bedroom or the to me we haven't even i, I don't know if you were just not interested in jacob at all but i think the whole dynamic i have to imagine the whole dynamic also of like not only have you caught one boy's attention but these two boys are now fighting over you and they're so obsessed with you Oh, of course, because again, what does, uh, again, raging hormone, not fully formed brain, young Catherine in high school want more than one boy's attention? Two boys' attention! And of course, there's right. it romanticizes that that fighting over you, and it romanticizes that not just, um, I don't know, being clear about what's going on or, or, or stopping that kind mm-hmm. of confrontation between two people or three people, you know, it really like, really digs into that, that, that yeah. Jacob, I remember like team Jacob, team Edward stuff was everywhere. Shirts, mm-hmm. notebooks, and there were pins. Like it, yeah. it made a statement. It was like a conversation starter if you had one of those things on because other people would be like, oh my God, wait, what? You're team Edward? I'm team Jacob. You know, like, yeah, I remember that that kind of stuff was everywhere. Right. And and we can talk a bit about how the Jacob relationship is also super toxic and red flaggy, but in all these very different kind of ways. You know, that is more like the kind of the, the jock like attention yeah. And the Jacob thing. So, yeah, he was definitely more of the jock. He was definitely more like aggressive towards Bella or aggressive in his mm-hmm. pursuit of Bella. But then what I can't help but think about with that aspect of it now is that we have this like pure white vampire that is like the main boy for her. And then we have this like indigenous, animalistic, aggressive person mm-hmm. who's like very much coming second fiddle. And it just really gets into like some pretty racist stereotypes at that point, too. And like, I'm also, since I've, since I've become, or like, since I, since I looked into this before doing this podcast, I realized that like Stephanie Meyer really commodified or like, um, Ooh, what's the, hang on. Um, Stephanie Meyer really used the Quillette people without their consent. She used their history. Mm -hmm. She used their names. She used their stories and they never made a dime. There was no royalties paid for this. So not only yeah. did she depict them in this really awful light, but she they never even made any money off it. Like half that tribe lives in poverty. Yeah. And so here is this depiction of, again, this this Quillette native person who's like the who's a, who can't control himself. And he's literally a beast. And it just you mm-hmm. really and you're like, oh, my God, this was like barely veiled racism, whether she intended that or not. That's what it is. Oh, I think it absolutely is. It's it's racism. It's cultural appropriation, like to a T. 
And I remember, I don't remember too much about that part of the books because, again, that wasn't the focus. I was reading specifically for the sexuality aspects. But watching the movies, the portrayal is so racist and is so, like, you know, all the, all the sort of, like, the, the, the depictions of Native American rituals and stuff like that. And then later in the last movie when, you know, you've got, like, the, there's a couple of Brazilian indigenous people who are just, I mean, it, it looks like out of some, you know, uh, an exhibit I would have thought to see in like the Museum of Natural History 50, 30 years ago when it was like, look at the wild, savage peoples. Um, yeah, the racism there is is everywhere. Yeah. And of course, I don't mean to make it sound like if they made money off it, it would be OK. But it's just another aspect of it. Right. That like not only yeah. did not only were they depicted this way, but also she just used them and they've never gotten anything from it at all. Yeah. To me, the money is like if there's some level of consent from the group like that, they're, they have buy into it. You can get into the politics of it all and like, yeah, it doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it OK, but it does it does change the dynamic at least somewhat. One of the things that strikes me as well so much in that dynamic between the two of them is how little agency she has. It's like I rewatching the movie. I knew I'd thought this already. It made me realize how much Hunger Games was a very con- I think was a very conscious response to this in that in Hunger Games. Katniss is very clearly being like, okay, now I need you. Wait, no, now I need you. Now I need you. Talk about from that perspective, like kind of what, how you see it now in terms of what's Bella's role in this love triangle? Oh, you know, I really, this part of this makes me, I'm, I really hate to admit that part of this makes me want to actually reread them now and be a little bit more mm-hmm. critical of it because I can't remember if there was like a big focus on how she felt. I do remember there was, dap- I mean, Edward and Jacob were definitely both involved with all of the books. And then I definitely, I know we're going to talk about the imprinting thing with Jacob mm-hmm. at the end. I know we're going to talk about that. But um, I don't remember how she felt, which is probably actually kind of telling, right? That I right. that it didn't make an impression on me how she felt about these mm-hmm. two characters or what she wanted or what her agency was. Right. I remember there was like one scene where they were in the cold mountains for something and she needed to be cuddling Jacob's naked body because he was warm and Edward couldn't keep mm-hmm. her warm in that moment. And, I, you know, I yep. just, all these little these little tidbits I can, you know, pull from my memory. But I don't remember how she actually felt about it. I mean, she ends up with Edward, so she must have just wanted Edward the most. But I mean, that scene definitely comes up. Uh, it happens. And I remember my, my partner, who had a, kind of a similar reaction to a lot of this as you, uh, she talked about how, like, she already was kind of thinking polyamory thoughts at that point. And so for her, the idea of sleeping with one boy while the other boy watched them was like, just, <laughs> oh, okay, this hits all the fun ideas. Although, talk like... <laughs> Talk about a story where polyamory would have made it a lot easier because in the books, in the movies, at least the amount of homoerotic tension between Edward and Jacob, there's a certain like just kiss about it already. Should we do should we do a fanfic rewrite where we just put them in a really healthy communicative poly relationship and solve like a lot of the issues with the story? I mean, I love the idea that you don't think that that would be the 5,000th of that that would be done. But yes, I'm all for it. I'm definitely all for you're it. You're right. You're I right. How pro- could I say it? I've never once tried to look up Twilight fanfic. I'm literally positive that already exists. Oh, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Um, like I said, we've had published books and movies of Twilight fanfic for all intents and purposes. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's such a that, – that idea of being fought over. And then – and I, I'm kind of throwing things out, but I, after this one, actually, I'll just kind of let you kind of – take the reins in terms of what's on your bullet list but where for me one of the things that comes through through the movies so much and I, I talked about how this idea of like abstinence being sexy and things like that but there's such this gendered idea of how you talked about how he can barely contain himself both of them have this like 
animalistic that, 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 that it feels very much like a metaphor for lust of they have to and part of what at least in the movies I think and I think in the books as well part of what she loves about what is that they are able to hold back that they have they're so close to the edge of just needing to take her uh in you know you, you strap like that in all the ways you can but that they hold back and what makes them so so wonderful um what was kind of 14 year old Catherine's and what's kind of modern day Catherine's take on that so again, 14-year-old Catherine had raging hormones. So I remember I remember I I I got through like maybe the second book or something and I remember calling mm-hmm. Caitlin to be like, "Do they ever have sex? Like does this do I ever get like a sex scene?" And she's like, "I'm not telling you. You got to keep reading." Mm-hmm. And of course, I got my hopes up, but no, of course if you've read the books, you know there is no sex scene. There's not even like there there's a mention of a bed breaking, but like it's there's literally right. nothing explicit mentioned in the books at all, which you know, is just so funny that that there's actually a quote that I that I found from Stephanie Meyer. Someone asked her about if she ever wanted to actually promote an abstinence message, because like you mentioned, these have been called abstinence porn since the jump. But her quote mm-hmm. is, I never decided to put a message in anything. And she just decided on a story that she thought was exciting and to entertain herself, which side note, I think that's super admirable and like good for her, I guess. It's just crazy that this one happened to get so popular. Um, And the quote, actually, it's from an interview with The Guardian she did in 2013. But the reason I found that quote interesting was actually a little bit later. She talks about what true love is to her, quote unquote, Mm. Um, which I guess we can talk about or I should have brought up when we were talking about the relationship stuff. But Mm -hmm. she has like some pretty problematic views about what she thinks true i mean i guess problematic to me right to her this is probably fine i guess but um Mm -hmm. uh do you want me to read the quote now yeah please do okay yeah so she says what i think says true love is different than what a lot of other people do to me true love is that you would hurt yourself before you would hurt your partner you would do anything to make them happy even at your own expense there's nothing selfish about true love it's not about what you want it's about what makes them happy which totally you 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 get this little glimpse into like the the whole relationship dynamics of the book and why she Mm -hmm. put them like that you know uh but i don't again it's it's so hard when when your books get so popular and then all of a sudden there are these really impressionable raging hormone teenagers who are reading these and getting all these ideas and thinking that these things must be okay and these are good things to have in a relationship. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's complicated, right? Because like she just wrote this book for herself. She said it, you know. So so do we do we fault her for it being so popular and it and it and it having all these messaging these messages for kids? I mean, that's a really interesting question because I. From the research I did, which was, again, 14 years ago, and there may be a lot more things that have come out since then, so I may well be wrong, I have trouble believing that statement. Mm. Uh, I think that's a very good PR statement of a way of distancing yourself from the message of them, particularly once we get to the book that is, as I see it, 100% about why late-term abortion is wrong, according to Stephanie Meyer. It's very hard for me to think that they don't have a message, but... I also know how propaganda works, and it's entirely possible that, you know, she does have that, like, she does value abstinence, and she does think that there's something romantic in, like, it's funny, because when you say that thing where it's basically like, by the way, have no boundaries, that's <laughs> language that is very, very gendered, unfortunately, and a yeah. lot, and I think we'd love, I want to hear about more about that in a second, about how most of the time it's the woman who's supposed to be holding back. I also, though, can see that through her, through that abstinence lens of... Men are – all your talk about you having hormones doesn't exist to them because in that world, 
male people are, well, they would just say men and women. Men are, you know, raging, you know, uh, hormone beasts and uh, it's women's job to control them. It's women's job to, and so maybe Edward and Jacob are hurting themselves because they're denying their desire until one of them is married to her. I, it just, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know where she stands, but it's one of those things where like, I don't know what she was intending, but certainly I think we can say the book did an awful lot of damage, you know? Oh, I mean, it certainly, again, promoted some really crazy messaging. And I, what you said earlier about trying to, they were trying to make abstinence sexy is just so funny to me because it, you know, nothing is sexy about abstinence. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. No, I think this is so true. And so, and yeah, because I think for a lot of people, they did take that message. But I think that's one of the ironies is that I, I'm guessing for 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 hormone filled Catherine that you didn't learn. You you were wanting that sex scene. You were not like, oh, God, I want Edward even more because he's holding back. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I wanted the sex scene so bad. I actually I, I definitely remember feeling disappointed that when they did eventually mm-hmm. have sex, all we got was some line about, you know, the bed was broken the next morning or something. I was like, tell me why. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And and I know like in the movie, they talk about her being kind of very bruised and like, I mean, there's just such a like, I mean, there's a a lot of people who got a strong BDSM inspiration out of that for I think (laughs) some good understandable reasons, but also just this whole idea of like, yeah, sex is going to hurt the woman, but please, it, it just, it's all so broken in so many ways. Yeah. Again, there's just some really crazy messaging that you get from these. Mm hmm. So what are some of the other messages you saw in this that were problematic? Um, well, it's as good a time as any to bring up the imprinting and yeah. what what the storyline eventually ended up being with Jacob. So he this unfortunately did not turn into a happy poly relationship. Uh, she did, you know, end up with Edward. But we have Jacob, this character in all the books, who I guess wanted Stephanie Meyer wanted him to have a happy ending, too. So he ended up imprinting, which is this thing she describes as like this star crossed soul mate finding experience that happens where these two people imprint on each other and they end up together forever i mean i really don't remember how the wording went but it was essentially that like this was Mm -hmm. your person and you're going to be with them and you're going to be in love with them forever twin flame soulmate whatever you want to call it and he ended up imprinting on her unborn baby while it was still in utero and so yeah. then there's this whole story, implied storyline of the baby growing up and him being, I don't know, some kind of weird pre-sexual caretaker to her before they're eventually going to be in a relationship together in the future, which is disgusting for one thing. And mm-hmm. I, the implications of that are so insanely far-reachingly inappropriate. I don't even know if I have all the yeah. words to describe it. <laughs> I mean, grooming has to be one of the words because mm. it's 100% a grooming situation. Um, like, I, I want to go back to Bella's agency in a moment. But to me, one of the things that most struck me is that, that girl, like, there is no agency on behalf of that girl in the slightest. In part oh, because, I know. yeah, like, if, if you are raised from day one being told, you know, here's Uncle Jacob. He's wonderful. You're going to marry him one day. Like, oh, gag. she may decide to do it. I don't think that is freely given consent. I like, know, in and in any way, shape, or form. And I, 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 I under or not understand. I can see why some people would defend it and say that the imprinting thing wipes away the pedophilia because it's it's not that it, it was Jacob's choice. He didn't have a choice. They imprinted on each other. Blah blah blah. But again, I cannot and will not get over the sheer 
imagery of a, a an adult uh, say right. having the imp- having the uh, knowledge that in the future they will be having sex with this now baby. That is just that's never going to be acceptable for me, and I think it's so fucking creepy. Oh, sorry, can we curse? I didn't. <laughs> uh, we can't every now and then. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Pedophilia is um, really creepy, and I hate it, and it's the worst. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so true. And like, I think all that is true. And then it's also that even if you believe their arguments of no, like something, he will not ever have a sexual thought about her until she turns 18 and then can magically change that, which is ridiculous. But even then, again, to me, it goes to this is a girl who has absolutely no consent in her relationship with him, you know? Yeah, I mean, he literally imprinted on her in utero like she was. I don't even think she was born yet when it happened. Yeah, and she's being raised partially by like she, at one point he's going to take her away from the big battle that happens. It's just it's so well, creepy, Matthew. That. Uh let's I want to get back to the kind of romance in the first couple of books. Then we'll talk about the pregnancy cuz Oh yeah, of course. Some problematic aspect of all that. Um cuz back in that love triangle period, one of the things I was really struck by cuz you were like, yeah, and I, I you were trying to remember what choice she makes about Jacob. The movies I felt were very ambiguous and because there's a, there's a point in time at which Edward and Bella are both convinced that Jacob is just make that she's all she wants to do is be friends with Jacob and that, um you know, that Jacob is like friend zone guy where he's like, no, you're flirting with me all the time. And Edward keeps telling Bella, no, he's wrong. He's lying to you. You're not doing that at all. And Bella is pretty quiet about it, but she seems to mostly be agreeing with Edward. And I'm like, okay, cool. At least the book is acknowledging, at least the movies are acknowledging, like, friend zone is bullshit. Like, women get to be friends with people. It doesn't matter if they find them attractive. You don't have to flirt back. But then there's this scene where, like, there is, like, you know, there is a long time where, like, Edward isn't around. And so Bella goes to to um, Jacob. I'm like, yeah, people can want friends when their boyfriend is, is gone. That's totally fine. Maybe you see some flirtation there. I think there is some flirtation in the movie. But, like, you then get to this point in the later movie where he accuses her and says, no, you do flirt with me. You do you flirt with me when, you need, when you're worried that he doesn't give you enough attention. And she's like, you're right, I do. And I'm sorry because I kind of want both of you. And I remember being so shocked by that because it didn't, it didn't line up with anything else the movie was doing. And, and where I'm going with all this is it felt like, to me, that's a very different kind of story. And that's a, like... If she actually has strong feelings for both of them, that's an interesting story. But the fact that we didn't know, it, it, Bella is the main character, but she's not the protagonist because we never, it, it feels like the movies at least don't care what she's thinking. Does this make any sense where I'm going with all no, this? No, totally. Yeah, because a lot of the a lot of the memes you see now and and stuff you see now is how like Kristen Stewart's not actually doing any acting in these movies. You know, it's like she's very mm-hmm. like uh, uh, dry and deadpan and kind of like doesn't do too much actual acting. And not that I don't think Kristen Stewart is a fabulous actress, but in these movies, it's mm-hmm. a, it's way less obvious what she's thinking and what she wants. And I, yeah, you're right. I right. don't. I like I said, I don't remember what it was like in the book specifically how she felt about those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, totally. So. Um, okay, so let's get to the pregnancy mm, because mm-hmm. what what they have sex on their wedding night. Everything seems to be good. The bed breaks, which, hey, beds breaking can be a sign of a really good time. But it's definitely in this couch just like because he's just so dangerous and terrible. But she's willing to, as you said, hurt herself for him. Um, if it hurts, something is wrong. If it hurts, <laughs> you don't like it. Something is wrong. Lube is a good thing. Um, sorry. I had to say that. Um but yeah, so in this pregnancy, uh, 
tell us a bit about how it's portrayed in the books and how it might not be the uh might be seen as metaphorical for something else in her own world if i remember correctly she gets pregnant when she's still a human so there's mm-hmm. a whole like human vampire baby hybrid thing happening inside her and right. the dad dad figure i should say is a doctor and so they're they're figuring out what's going on and the baby's like growing really fast inside her so Mm -hmm. it's really dangerous for her i think she starts having blood cravings while the baby is in her if i remember there's like a weird sippy cup blood Mm -hmm. scene i think happened at one point those exact words yep yeah and then it starts getting really i'm totally going off like digging deep in the memory wells here because like i said i did not want to reread these before we did this Mm -hmm. but yeah there's something about the baby is like really bad for her it's like really super unhealthy and there's a question of whether or not she could even survive childbirth and then and then it goes into the whole discussion about her turning into a vampire again and there was huge discussion like every member of the family was involved in this if i remember of course not bella's dad because she just lies to him for the entirety of these novels which is a whole nother weird thing um you should definitely not be lying to people you love in your life and who love you because of a partner anyway i mean um yeah there was this whole big discussion about like how to save the baby and edward was like i mean shouldn't we also be worried about bella and like even i think i don't remember how bella felt if she was more concerned about the baby or herself but yeah there was like a really weird pro-lifey kind of thing that went on that that, with that whole pregnancy yeah Yeah, it really was and this was actually why because my work did a lot of stuff around like pro-reproductive justice, like abortion doesn't have to be, it isn't this terrible thing, um, at least, you know, shouldn't be seen as like sinful or wrong or anything like that. Um, and yeah, the book is like a lot, especially in the movie, but even in the book, a lot of the language that's used in terms of the danger that the, the baby is causing to her is the exact language that's used in terms of like ectopic pregnancies or other pregnancies that will literally cause the, you know, a risk or even the death of the mother. Wow. And it was, it's not, if the absent stuff is somewhat couched, this part of it is not. And like, even in the movie I was watching and I was like, you'd think for the Hollywood, they would lessen that. But like, there's a scene where like, you know, Edward's talking about the fetus and like Bella and another person snaps, baby, it's a baby, call it a baby. It was a, oh, like, really? Oh my God. I don't happens. remember that at all. There's a woman who got, uh, became a vampire and has always regretted the fact that she couldn't have children and does this whole thing to Bella that like it's kind of like your duty to have this child because I can't. And it's like your what you I mean, it's so. Wow. Oh, my so God. Sexist. I had forgotten all of that. Is that the mean sister that that feels that yeah. S- sister in air quotes here? Because, again, this is not an actual family. <laughs> It's a found family. True, 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 true. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, not in the biological yeah. sense. I was yeah. gonna say it's not a blood family, but it really <laughs> is. But yeah, in a different kind of. Uh, yeah. It's a blood family, and not the ways you're thinking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's just yeah. So you're you're trying to because this is all coming back a little bit to you. Now. A little bit, yeah. But I don't. I that the the uh, the fetus versus baby thing is is in, incredibly telling. And this is again mm-hmm. where I where I wonder how much. Stephanie Meyer was trying to make a specific point here, you know, with how could you not be with this kind of discourse? And I, I really, I I don't, I definitely don't remember how I felt about 
abortion when mm-hmm. I was, you know, 14 years old. I don't I don't know if I had any thoughts about it at all, to be totally honest. Right. Of course, now today I'm extremely pro-choice. And I think mm-hmm. an abortion is, as far as I'm concerned, a medical procedure that happens between a person and their doctor. And literally no one else should have any reason to be involved. But, yeah. uh, you know, that is that's it. That's kind of crazy to be thinking about uh, this movie and this media in the time we're in today the, the the very world we find ourselves in today yeah i mean especially literally today when the the news about the road decision possibly being overturned came out literally like less than 24 hours ago but even we recorded this a week before it would have been true because mm-hmm. these issues are still being fought over and yeah it just it's to me the message that i see again and again throughout this is this idea of sacrifice on bella's part you know because and i think part of it is and this is to me the really scary part you know, she starts out as this character who has no sense of self-worth, who has no sense of why am I here? What am I offering to the world? And so it becomes the, you know, first the like, well, what I offer is that I'm being I, I'm being loved. And Edward thinks I have worth. So I have worth. And Jacob thinks I have worth. So I have worth. And then it becomes I am helping these boys fight their inner demons. And so that's why I have worth. And then, like, I don't think she literally says, like, my life is worth, like, while if I die for the baby. But she absolutely says, my life is not important. Save the babies. You know, it, it's just such this, like, yeah, uh, what, what, uh, I, I want to kind of pass it over to you in terms of this, this messaging of self-sacrifice that is, I do think, incredibly gendered. Yeah, I guess. So there's a, uh, there's a part of me that feels a little conflict in that if Bella herself was making the choice about like i would rather have my child survive than me than make that the priority but again the fact that and also i was really interested about what you said about how this this might have been like a little more a little mormon propaganda um but that that quote that stephanie meyer said about like it to me true love is about like it doesn't matter what you do to yourself it's it's really for this other person so i can't help but think that that is like a real clear indication of how stephanie myers feels about this topic right Mm -hmm. and and um which again we get into this like what happens when you have a really popular thing that you're infusing all these beliefs into and and what does it say to other people about what happens to their body and what they should do for for fetuses and bundles of cells within them and what kind of obligations they have right yeah i think that's a very good point i appreciate you, you you calling that out because if it is just bella making this choice then i then i i i'm with you i want to support that for sure that's the whole point of choice but it's just the like it's when all the messaging that she's been getting for so long about what her worth is, you know? Like, oh, yeah, totally, totally. Especially that little bit about, like, I don't have any self-worth until these, like, boys' attention gives me self-worth. It's like, oh, that rings really true, especially for how, again, 14-year-old Catherine felt about herself and wanted all yeah. this attention from guys. So now Bella's getting all this attention, and, and shouldn't she sacrifice a little bit for these people that are so important? Yeah, exactly. So what else is on your list of the the – bullet points of problematicism or, or comments you wanted to bring up well i think we've actually covered all the worst parts in no specific order about uh, this i guess the only other things i i did have a really short best list and that okay. i thought that it is like we kind of touched on this earlier but i do think it's fine to have some problematic faves and to revisit them and laugh at all the ridiculousness i mean they glitter in sunlight are you kidding me and also point out things that are really problematic and things that you now have different opinions on and can look at them in a different light i would 
say to anyone who was a fan, it might be worth going back and revisiting how you feel about these things now in a different light. If you've never seen them, you do not have to. Let me tell you, the internet memes will give you all the content you need from (laughs) this. And I do not think you have to subject yourself to the whole movie or whole book to get the cultural relevance of it, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I think that's so good. And I'd love to hear more from you on that. Like that kind of process of unpacking it, like were there kind of conscious moments you had where you were like, oh, that was really dumb of, or not, I'm going to put those words, but like, you know, oh, I don't know why I thought that was romantic. That's actually toxic. Or do you think it was just more of a kind of gradual, like coming in understandings of things and, and moving away from seeing this as an ideal? So I remember specifically when the Fifty Shades of Grey was having its cultural moment, and I remember learning that it was Twilight fanfic gone crazy. I remember mm-hmm. at that point, I actually thought about Twilight again and kind of I had enough of a different lens at that point to do a little bit of this interrogation, you know, and um, I haven't ever again gone back and actually watched them, which I don't know, maybe after this I will, who knows. But yeah. uh, so I've never I, I haven't. It's only through the things, again, the memes, the stuff that's talked about that mm-hmm. I've done some of that kind of interrogation of it and, and thought to myself, yeah. how do I feel about this now? Or, wow, holy crap, I can't believe I was so into that. You know, I really did read those yeah. books in like one calendar week or whatever it was. But it's not it's not something I've done, I think, super intentionally. It's kind of just come up because of other media and things I've seen. And it's enough to make me right. kind of think back to what I remember and be like, oh, God, he was stalking her. Like, I don't want to be stalked. That's not a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that's something you hear a lot. I definitely know I've heard stories also from people where they did start to experience that kind of thing. And they were like, oh, this does not feel the way I thought it would feel. You know, yeah. this feels and all, or even like where for the first six months it feels wonderful. And then you start to see the other parts of it. You're like, oh, how how could this happen? Totally, totally. I do think there is there is inherent worth, I think, in going back and and revisiting some things, especially things that you feel a pretty strong way about, but maybe haven't Mm -hmm. interacted with in a while, because you could be a totally different person from when you were first viewing those. Now, I'm happy to report my brain is fully formed and I have some very different (laughs) views than I did when I was 14. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a very different person than I was back when I was a really super fan of these books. Yeah, I can totally understand that. I can understand that. And I think, and I want to be clear, I think we're talking about these, the books were primarily beloved and and were certainly marketed primarily towards tween and young teen girls. But as you said with the movies, like, that's not the only people who are going, you know, and there's, and I think for me as someone who is non-binary, but was raised masculine, has a lot of toxic masculinity I've been unpacking, like, I didn't see these movies, but... I can easily imagine the lessons that a teenage boy or even adult boy would get watching Edward and Jacob and having that be romanticized because I got those same lessons from all the other media because, yeah, I was told all the time, show someone how over the top, crazy obsessed you are because that's romantic. You know, do all these things. Make clear they know that you're like, you know, you've got all this lust for them, but that you you respect them enough to hold back because the best way clearly to respect someone is to deny them any agency about their own sexuality. <laughs> like, that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I I feel like as much as the books are marketed, marketed towards women, so much of it is about, romant- to me, romanticizing toxic masculinity. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like both Edward and, and Jacob come at it from different aspects, but it's kind of like, if you want the yin and yang of toxic masculinity... There it is right there between the two of them. Oh, my God. That's the best tagline. If you want the yin and yang of toxic masculinity, I got four books I can recommend. 
I okay, good, good. I I, I say that and I'm like, I did I just be horribly racist in a way? I hope I didn't. If I did, please let me know. But yeah, I, I appreciate you you liking that that phrase. No, that's great. I will say uh, just a quick segue that um you know uh, one way that people can fight toxic masculinity is by being welcome to like I pay a lot of attention to my appearance, grooming you know uh, uh, what I'm wearing stuff like that. I'm playing with makeup, uh, but also uh, grooming of uh, body hair and things like that. Uh, people may know that this podcast is sponsored by Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped is, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in uh, below the waist grooming. Uh, they offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I didn't write that line, but I've committed to saying it every single episode. Uh, I'm sorry. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Hygiene Bundle, the performance package. I got a free copy of it, and there's a lot of good stuff in it, I got to say. Um, there's um, the, uh, the, the products for trimming are a lot safer than others I've used before and have done a good job. There are various um, deodorants and lotions and things, and... It's funny because I'd never really given much thought to it because it always seemed kind of ridiculous. But giving some thought to, yeah, why is it that it's ridiculous for me as a masculine person to want to groom that part of my body and want to have, like, feel, you know, more confident about myself or things like that? I don't think you've got to. I think people can do whatever the heck they want with whatever hair on their body they want of any genders. But look, if it's something you're into, if it's something you can enjoy, or you just want maybe, like, a, honestly the best pair of boxer shorts that I've ever had— all that you can get on Manscaped. If you go to manscaped.com, uh, there's a 20% off discount you get just by using our discount code, which is HeroEthics, H-E-R-O-E-T-H-I-C-S. Um, check it out. There's a lot of good stuff there. You may have a kind of natural, like, no, I'm not supposed to do that kind of thing. Push past that. That's kind of a good thing to push past. And, like, you know, if you're masculine uh, or, you know, whatever gender, you know, uh, they have an ear and nose trimmer and... That tends to lean more on a testosterone side, but any gender can deal with those kind of issues. So grooming can be for everybody. doesn't have to be for anybody. Check out the website, manscaped.com, and you'll get the 20% discount for using Hero Ethics. Uh, and now Catherine will hold back the laughter. She will, will allow the laughter that she's been holding back this entire time at my hopefully beautiful transition into shilling for capitalism. Grooming is important wherever you fall on the gender spectrum between vampire and werewolf. Right? Okay, so here's my question. Who is more likely to manscape, J Jacob or Edward? Oh, you know it's uh, Jacob. He's hairy like a werewolf. He's got to keep it under control. Right? Yeah, I mean, so like I, every now and then people like, like all the chest hair, but that one little bare patch. So, you know, that that's his thing. That's his thing. It's whatever so, you're in the mood for. There you go. Um, going back to toxicness, um, there's, by the way, the, the products are very well engineered. There's nothing toxic about the chemicals. They're all safe. Everything good to use. Done with shilling. And by the way, folks, uh, no, I'm not going to give the push for my Patreon. I've done that in other episodes. But back to the world of toxic masculinity and other things. Um, one of the first conversations that you and I had when we all got together in Memphis was about the Harley-Joker relationship and how that is, is super toxic but is portrayed as this very romantic, very sexual thing that people want. How does that – how would you compare Bedward, Bedward Ella, Edward Bella – to Joker Harley in terms of like which one you see it like the it's different kinds of toxicity one is aimed more to teenagers one is more adults but kind of how, how do you compare and contrast those two for sure I'm definitely not crazy familiar with both of them but the perspective I have on it is that the Harley Joker is probably a little bit easier to separate yourself from in that it exists in this like different kind of world than we do not that not that we exist in a world with twilights 
Twilight, uh, right. sparkly vampires and werewolves or anything. But Bella is definitely just like a regular kind of girl who gets caught up in this kind of stuff. Whereas yeah. Harley Quinn is like, she's a super villain at a certain point, you know? So it's mm-hmm. also, she's also, I mean, a lot of people root for her. A lot of people root against her, whatever. But there's a whole dynamic about these two bad characters who get with each other and they're bad to each other. And it's fine because they're both bad, you know? Whereas yeah. we're given this like very puritanical view of bella and that she's never really done anything wrong and then she's embroiled in whatever she's embroiled with you know so mm-hmm. it's it is interesting how many pop culture examples of really crappy relationships we get right and mm-hmm. i'm sure there are people who would describe both themselves and their partner as quote-unquote crazy and we're like the joker and harley quinn and would see that as something that's great and fun because mm-hmm. they're both quote-unquote crazy together you know I was once I, I've performed a number of marriages, including for a lot of friends of mine who are more on the kind of like comic book geeky, you know, poly kinky queer spectrum and all that. And I, I don't often draw lines, but I did have a couple where uh, uh, she wanted the, the couple wanted me to you know use their actual names, but say in kind of like the, you know, the, that, you know, that um, she will always be his Harley and he will always be her Mr. J. Oh, wow. and I was just like. I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> I, I have to draw a line. Okay. Well, here's my I, question. Would you draw the line at someone who wanted a Twilight-themed ceremony? Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I think as part of the, the – part of where I came to is that I do think Edward I, – I think it's very telling that we now have all these memes about how toxic uh, Harley and Joker are. Not as much Bed, Bedward and Ella. Edward and <laughs> Bella. I don't know why I keep doing that now. Um, it, I think, And I think in part because in the media that we see – Harley Harley has now recognized that Joker like the writers have recognized that Joker is toxic that they were toxic together Joker's certainly a very abusive boyfriend and she's gotten to be free but also I think it, I think you put it perfectly in ways I'd never quite said that like more people can relate to Bella in way you know I think a lot of people can somewhat relate to Harley but I feel like more people kind of imprint their idea of what a healthy relationship looks like from Twilight than than from Harley Joker mhm mhm which is not to say the other one isn't super toxic as well, but also, you know, uh, just just w- different ways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what's your th- as someone who either the ethics of it or just like your 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 feelings on uh, these kind of stories in general? You weren't really a vampire person, you said. Um, what what uh, how do you feel, though, about the them being vampires and the sparkliness of it all? I remember even as a 14 year old, I remember and not being like a super vampire fan. I thought the sparkling was so silly when I I remember thinking Mm -hmm. it was so silly when I read the books. I was like, why did she do that? Like, that was such a curious Mm -hmm. choice for me. Even again, when I was like really wrapped up in it, I remember thinking the sparkling was like was really silly. I guess I'm still not really I I think I pretty feel pretty neutral about vampires Mm -hmm. i guess something that always makes me giggle is how messy of eaters they always are depicted in in pop culture (laughs) there's there's always blood like running down the person's neck and i'm always like aren't isn't that like real good food for you like why you're you're all such messy eaters you know like you think they'd be really kind of clean about that kind of stuff and they're all wearing these like gorgeous 18th century gowns or like poet shirts that you know none of them can go in a washing machine. <laughs> like this is a real problem. Oh, you know what's something we didn't uh, talk about before that that always or not always, but I'm just remembering is a weird thing. Edward mm-hmm. is technically like a hundred plus years old when he falls for this. 17 16 17 year old girl. Mm-hmm. Also, let's be real. If you had eternal life. 
you would not spend it in high school. No way. No one wants to redo high school like that. You simply would be doing other things with your time. Yeah, I think, and to me, it kind of all adds up. I I think one thing Stephanie Meyer wanted to do is have both the romanticism of vampires, because there is a lot of romanticism and, and a hell of a lot of eroticism in those stories, but also make it as as basic and plain and as they as safe as she could. Like to me, part of the whole thing about like they only walk in darkness is that idea of like all that you're giving up. And yeah, I was a vampire kid. I, I played the role playing game. I read all the Anne Rice stuff. I dressed in all black. I I I was that kid. Uh, annoying as it was. Um, then I discovered color can be a fun thing. <laughs> um, but like I think that you know, and so there's a part of me that's a little bit gatekeepery, and I have to fight that. And be like, no, we can have different ideas of vampires, but also like, yeah, the vampire part it feels like is, is it's they're made safe, but also what you said, if I'm if a thirty year old person is hanging out at a high school to pick up people, we think of that as incredibly predatory because the idea is that person is much more. I think you were kind of saying this much more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, Bella is very vulnerable to him in a way an adult woman probably wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to me, that that's I'm really glad you brought that up. I'd forgotten about it, but it's such a toxic alarm bell. Yeah, and we're also supposed to believe this hundred year old dude has never gotten it in, never with another vampire, never with the human. Like again, the abstinence porn thing is ridiculous. I is he? I don't think he's portrayed as a virgin in the books. Is I thought he, he was. That? Oh, interesting. Okay, I thought he was. I could I could I, be misremembering. I could be misremembering. My, granted, uh, I, I was not able to pay as much attention to the movies as I might have wanted to because they're just – they're hard they're to hard pay, to pay attention, attention to. to. <laughs> and like the best way to – I think hate watching them while like in a Twitter stream or in like a chat group with a bunch of your friends or even a room with a bunch of your friends if it's COVID safe is a great thing to do. But it means you're like laughing with each other and so you miss some details. Yeah, I, I, I think the point was that he hadn't drunk blood from a non-animal. In a very long time, and so oh, that was also kind yeah, of yeah, that's right. They were like, what was it? They called themselves like vegetarian vampires because they only ate right. animals. Which is like, is that like an anti-vegan thing she put in this book as well? How ridiculous! Yeah, I mean, it's quite literally saying we are killing. Like, I remember my my Paul, who's my often co-host, who is a vegan, is like, yeah, like at least vampires kill humans, not people, not animals. <laughs> I'm better with that. Um, vampires yeah. are vegan. Discuss. <laughs> <sighs> oh boy! Oh boy! I mean, I guess they can't process dairy. That that's a thing. Um, yeah. Um, so let's turn to the last movie for a bit because we actually got a, a comment on this. I wound up kind of liking the last movie in part because by the last movie, all the romance part is over. We're still dealing with all this imprinting nonsense, but we're at least mostly over that, and it winds up just being kind of a kind of generic vampire battle movie with you know an awful lot of awful representation of people and stuff like that um but yeah do you have any, do you remember having a thought well i guess because in the books it's just the second half of the book right it's not its whole other movie yeah i remember they split the fourth book into two movies so okay i am really digging down deep the only thing i remember is she has some kind of mental power some mental force field powers that she gets when she turns into a vampire mm-hmm and I remember literally nothing else. I'm so sorry. I'm about to be able to contribute nothing to this part of the discussion. I cannot remember a single. Why were the other vampires evil? What were they doing? What's going on? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> None of it is explained. Um, the actor, I think oh, it's good. Martin okay. Sheen. I'm not actually missing no, much then. <laughs> it's not Martin Sheen. It's about who's the actor who played Ovid, uh, opposite David Tennant in Good Omens? Oh, can't think of the name right now. Is it not Martin Sheen? Uh, 
Uh, maybe Martin Sheen. I well, I typed in evil vampire in Twilight, and it came up with uh, Edward Cullen, which is <laughs> funny. He's the head of the Volturi. Eh, I, I can't remember the actor's name. It doesn't matter. It may well be Martin Sheen. Yell at me in the comments. Um, yeah, he is just chewing scenery. It's a lot of fun. But yeah, her powers are, it's again, all about protecting others. It's that she can't really shield her. I th- she may be able to shield herself. I don't remember, but she can shield other people. So again, it's all about like her value to others. She's a support character. She's not a main class. Yeah, because as we know, true love is doing everything for everyone else and nothing for yourself. As we know, Stephanie right? Myers told us. Right. Because they should be sacrificing just as much as you do. And of course, we know that in true love, it always will be equal. Um, nonsense. <laughs> um, but the point of all this is, uh, we did get a, a listener question about this because one of the things that happens that is pretty controversial uh, from a very different standpoint, though, but we got a question about it, is that um, the, the two, forgive me for spoilers for something 14 years old, but the two sides gather for battle on this like frozen area, uh, which, by the way, this, there are so many scenes where we see characters in sunlight in the movies and they just decided the sparkle effect looked ridiculous. It's one more way the whole thing is super dumb. Fair enough, though. I'll move off of that uh, uh, soapbox. And the idea is that, like, there's another vampire who has the ability to, like, let people see the future. And so she goes up to try and touch the the head vampire to show him the future. He pushes her away. And then battle, battle, battle. There's this epic battle scene in which uh, our heroes prevail and all the vampires on the a lot of the good vampires, but especially a lot of the bad vampires are all killed. And then we realize that actually all of that was what she was showing to the head bad vampire, the head of the Volturi. And it kind of snaps back and is like, oh, okay. He decides that therefore he doesn't want to have this big fight. He will let them go. And I loved that. I thought that was kind of a brilliant way of playing with the there has got to be a big battle at the end. Um, but I know a lot of people didn't like it. And I'll read a, a comment from someone who didn't in a moment. But first, what, what was your take on it? A little bait and switch. Who doesn't love that? I right? will admit I do not remember that literally at all. I don't. I'm mm-hmm. actually possibly now remembering some discourse I saw online about how p- mad people were mm-hmm. about it. But I do not remember that at all, which I think is, again, probably telling in and of itself. But no, that's great. I love a good misdirect. You think you know what's happening and then just pull the rug out from underneath the audience. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's true. And I, um, this is the comment we got. It's from James Hewings, another person who's very active in the Stranded Panda chat. Um, Please discuss your thoughts on the finale of the final film uh, as a reaction, as a rea- and then he says, as a reaction as a viewer, I felt there was an obligation not met by the author and the filmmakers to the viewer to provide a satisfactory conclusion. Now, it seems for you, you wanted a satisfactory conclusion of a very different sort that, that was never actually fully provided. Um <laughs> But it didn't leave much of You weren't, like, raging angry at the books by the end, it seems. First of all, I love imagining James watching all the Twilight movies and, and being <laughs> upset about the endings. Shout out to James. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was way more focused on the sex than I was on the battle scenes. I can definitely say that 14-year-old Catherine was hornier than she was uh, uh, ready for blood or bloodlust, I guess, for battles. Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't remember feeling any type of way about the ending. Other than... I. 
there was I remember there was supposed to be another book that came out from Edward's point of view. It was supposed to be a rehash of the mm-hmm. first book from his point of view. And I remember being excited about that. But then that never got written. And I think it got written years later. But of course, I'm not going to go back and read it now. So yeah, I don't remember any that's feelings fair. about that final battle scene. But I think that I mean, they you, you did see it, right? You like saw you got to yeah. see an imagined battle and then you didn't have to go through that timeline. Yeah, he, he later said when I asked more about it, I felt cheated and robbed. I felt like that moment made the whole series pointless and a waste of time and no stakes. Wow, just for um, that one, that's James, that's pretty telling that that was what really made the series feel uh, not good <laughs> for you. No, I'm just kidding, James. You like what you like. Yeah. Yeah. J- to be clear, James is a friend of ours. This is not ragging on a random person writing in. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm kind of the same way. Like, I, I people like what they like. They don't like what they don't like. I have very strong feelings on some movies. I have very strong feelings on pineapple on pizza. People don't have to share the feelings that I share, and I think vice versa. I think for me, and it may be because I was never invested, I never really cared much about these characters, but I was like, oh, mostly I think I was like, Stephanie Meyer had an original thought? <laughs> I, 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 wow, okay. that's that. So much of it had just felt like old rehashed cliches that I was like, that's kind of awesome. I like that. and. Mm. For me, it kind of reminded me of the Dormammu moment at the end of Doctor Strange of this idea that like sometimes you can show someone the consequences of the road that they're on and how it's going to lead to terrible things for both of you. And they and they can be like, cool. OK, I'm out. Never mind. Like, Love yeah, that. If you, I, I've heard I've heard many others who didn't like it. If you didn't like it, that's totally fine. I'm not defending these movies or these books by any means. We on this podcast are fans and supporters of Changing Your Mind. Exactly. Exactly. Definitely true. Definitely true. Yeah. So is there any other last things that you didn't get to bring up or that you wanted to, to touch on or just last questions or thoughts you want to throw out? Uh, just plus one for the idea of doing these as a video thing, because then everybody would get to see how wonderful your hair is and how dapper you're dressed. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I will put up a picture or two. I appreciate that. Uh, Catherine, it's been so great to have you on. Uh, I hope that, as I said, we've kind of broken the seal now and you can become a, a semi-regular, uh, you know, recurring guest star on this and other podcasts because... I love your perspectives and I love how open you're able to talk about like where 14 year old saw it and where you are today. Because I think for me, that's the most important part of Twilight is understanding like those two different perspectives. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on, Matthew. It's always a pleasure chatting. And please, yeah, I really need to now talk about something that's not Twilight and redeem myself okay. in all the ears of the listeners who heard me talk about Twilight for as long as they did. Uh, if I remember, you're a pretty big Star Wars fan as well, right? So we'll get you on, and I won't ask you anything about what 14-year-old thought of Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely get you back. And to our listeners, what, what's your opinion on all of this? Uh, were you a Twilight fan? Were you a Twilight hater? Do you still want to defend the books? Uh, are we pointing out things that you haven't seen before, that there's even more stuff we haven't pointed out? Would love to hear your thoughts. If you go to theethicalpanda.com, there you'll find uh, all the ways to find us on email, Twitter, Facebook, all those kind of things. Um, would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. If enough people write in, I will reread all four of the books. You heard it there. You heard it. What, what are we going to say is enough? Maybe like we need a hundred comments, 50 Ooh, comments. Yeah. A hundred for sure. A nice even number. Okay. We need a hundred people to say, have Catherine read the books uh, or some version of that. We will get Catherine to read the books. We will get her back on. We'll maybe even get her to maybe like, we'll do like a kind of check in every now and then. I'll be like, all right, for 10 minutes, where are you in the books? What's going on? <laughs> I'll do a dramatic, I'll do a dramatic reading of my favorite scenes. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, actually that could be really great. So yeah, definitely uh, write in there, check that out. You'll find us on Facebook, on Twitter, all the places. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you are inspired perhaps to do a bit of grooming or to perhaps give a gift of grooming to someone in your life, check out manscaped.com for all genders, um, 20% off with the hero with the 
promo code HeroEthics uh, at Manscaped.com. On behalf of myself, Catherine, everyone involved, thank you all so much for being a great audience, and have a great day. Thanks.